Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm TJ Capaldi, Pastor Lackey here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. Hi, I'm Edward Dannemiller. I'm a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta, and I went to school at Georgia Tech a number of years ago. And I'm Father Josh, the chaplain here at Georgia Tech. So we're happy to have Edward with us today, a seminarian for Atlanta, and uh, has been back here at Georgia Tech several times in this last year. In fact, he was with us at Easter uh, for a long period of time. I have to and keep an eye on these guys, make sure they're doing all right. That's right. That's right. And uh, you identified yourself as a seminarian, but it was pointed out earlier that I believe our pastoral lackey has news about that as well. Yes. On um, Back around the middle of May, I was also accepted uh, as a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta as well. So Edward and I are now seminarian brothers. And I'll Congratulations. Be, thank you. And I'll be starting my formation in August. And I believe you're in your last week of lacking yeah. here at Georgia Tech. <laughs> Lackying. By yes. the time this gets put up, who knows how long, because really he's not very good at putting them up. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a the lack is coming to an end. I don't know if that makes the lack worse or if it makes it better. We'll mm-hmm. see. Only time will tell. Yes. Yeah. I should probably mention that I've only listened to about three minutes of this podcast before, so this is all new to me. That that uh, puts him among our top ten listeners. <laughs> so uh, we're going to continue our series on sin. Uh, we've posted a podcast on kind of the what makes an act, the kind of act we can even judge, and then we did another podcast on what is sin itself, and then we talked about mortal and venial sin. And today, what we want to talk about is the idea of freedom. Uh, How does freedom play in with sin? What is freedom itself? Why is it necessary? How do we we have it? What can we do to lose it? All those kind of questions. So, uh, I'm going to throw the question out to our seminarians now. So this should be a really impressive answer, right? So, guys, what is freedom? It's the ability to choose the good. I agree. (laughs) Just off the cuff there. The ability to choose the good. Okay, so if someone is not free, they cannot choose the good. Why? If somebody's not free, then they're not able to choose the good and why? Are they not able to identify the good? Not necessarily. Or are they, do they not have sufficient will to enact whatever it is they have to do to attain the good? Right? There's two different parts. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably different levels of that. Um, unless the identifying it's possible that the identifying of the good is associated with something other than freedom Um, but I would say like uh, there's definitely the human experience of being able to identify what is good um, and not being able to choose it you know like I'm thinking St. Paul obviously in Romans uh, what is it like chapter 7 or something when he says like I do not do the good that I want to do but I do the evil that I hate or you know, paraphrasing, but I think that's part of the human experience. Is he talking about freedom there? Not directly. Or at all. <laughs> yeah. 
But I mean, he's talking about like knowing what is right and not doing it. Isn't that related? Yes, he's not talking about freedom at that point. What he's talking about there is weakness, right? I mean, a free person can still be weak, right? So what? What is? What would? What would normal people? If I was going to ask somebody who wasn't a seminarian, what freedom is? What are the kind of answers we hear? The ability to do whatever the heck I want to do. The ability to do whatever the heck I want. That's a very college answer right there. I would also say it would be unrestrained. Like they're not they're not bound in chains, for instance, or they're not in jail. And that's freedom is not being locked up. Yep. Okay. So like that's like a certain like incarceration or slavery mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. Yes. And I don't have this to, type of freedom there. I don't have to answer to anybody. I make my own decisions. That's it. I am the master. Does that kind of freedom exist? Uh, it depends what you mean. I mean, I yes, think, in the sense that you can live that experience. What were you going to say, Edward? I was, I was going to say, I think it's uh, a lot of it is partly an illusion of control that we have. We think we can plan out our lives and that we have it all figured out. Um, so, I mean, to some extent, you can... Uh, choose what you're going to do but a lot of life is also reacting and how you react to what life throws at you so that's why I wanted to identify freedom with the will uh, because it's not so much what you can control but how you respond to it okay so do you have to have do you have to have multiple so in a practical exercise of your reason right so that's like not a theoretical question but when it comes time to making a concrete decision. Practical reason. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have two choices in front of you or more in order to exercise freedom? No. Why? Because with one like with one choice in front of you, you can either like conf- choose it or not choose it. So there's freedom involved in that, right? Like like the things that we would put in the category of like what I cannot control, right? Um, then I can either accept that this is just what's going to happen and I gotta go with it, or I can kind of like revolt against it and say, uh, say like, I don't even accept this. Like this sucks or whatever else. Yeah. So and I think what what you just said, you made an important point. So like I'm choosing between your choice is. I will go to uh, McDonald's or I will go to Burger King, right? Those are the choices that we find ourselves considering. If we're considering freedom, which is not exactly, this is not the greatest example, right? There's more than just the choice between McDonald's and Burger King, right? There's also the choice to not do either, Mm -hmm. correct? Right, so that's called a false dichotomy. We give someone a dichotomous choice, like a choice between two things, or even three things or four things, as if those are the only choices, right? And then and then eliminate other choices that are very legitimate. Mm. Freedom isn't just uh, having a plethora of options, though. It's in the execution of, it's in making the choice that you are free. It's not just having the options available. Um, I, I think we see that... Uh, here, I'm going to use the Netflix example. There's a thousand things to watch, but nobody can make the choice to eliminate the others. 
and pick one because they want to keep their options open. Right, but you do have the choice of... I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is in the choice of I'm going to watch one of the following five movies, mm-hmm. there is an, there's also another choice that's implicit but not often stated, and that is I don't have to watch any movie. Mm-hmm. That that implicit choice is really important. What if I can't stop myself from watching Netflix? I must watch Netflix. That's going to be the subject of our next podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, freedom in, I think, popular culture is considered to be uh, a freedom from restraint. Right? It tends to be a freedom from restraint. That I can make any decision that I want. I'm not restrained by nature. I'm not restrained by authority. I'm not restrained by custom. I'm free to choose. I think that tends to be, if you ask people to kind of define what freedom is, that seems to be the overarching idea of what it is. Mm -hmm. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. But you started off with a definition that had nothing to do with that. It, yeah, choosing to do the good. Choosing to do the good. Or the ability to choose or the yes. good. Yes. The ability to choose the good. So an unfree person doesn't have the ability to choose the good. So I'm gonna ent- I'm gonna say there's degrees here that your freedom can be hampered, uh, to an extent. Not completely extinguished, because I think there's always uh you're always gonna have a basic choice to make, uh basic ability to choose good. But it can be certainly wounded and harmed. Your this uh, activity of the will to choose the good. Um, so I'm not going to say like uh, somebody who's free is not able at all to choose the good because I think that's always going to remain. You can't snuff that out entirely. Yeah. Um, I would say that. But you can diminish well, then it. Your, your or, definition is not good then. Okay. I mean, if, if I think you, it can if, be snuffed out entirely. I that. I agree freedom can be stuffed out entirely, right? I think There of, are certainly cases in which your freedom is completely removed. We'll use a, an example, right? In uh, the... Well, this is not a real example, but in the Harry Potter movies, right? There's one of these spells that you can make someone... I can't remember what the spell is, but there's one of these spells where you can make someone basically do whatever you want them to do. Okay. Right? That person is acting in the world, mm-hmm. um, but they're certainly not free in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so w- their body is being manipulated, let's say, but is that stopping them from? Pre- is that preventing them from choosing the good? Yeah, it's preventing them from choosing anything. I mean, they they can't control where their body goes, but they can. Uh, I would say, like, the good is also partly. I mean, choosing to do the good is uh, has an internal aspect as well. I agree, yeah. Well, and we don't, I mean, in a fictional example, it's hard to know, right? (laughs) But uh, I think there are times when people have, because you talk about impairment of freedom, I think there's times when people have impaired their freedom so greatly Mm -hmm. that their ability to choose, at least on a natural level, just doesn't exist. Yeah. I think of, uh, for example... In an extreme case, like a heroin addict, like super, super addicted, like totally controlled by the addiction. Um, I don't know what that experience is like, but there's. It seems like freedom might be diminished to zero at that point. 
when if not before taking the drug certainly right after sure so i think we get into a question of culpability versus I, I would say that that person is not necessarily culpable so much for because they are no but we're talking about the ability right yeah. does the ability to choose the good continue to exist the culpability is a different thing i get that mm-hmm. but I think freedom can be impaired to a, such a degree that it just doesn't exist anymore, right? Well, let, let's let's ask this question. Where does freedom come from? Freedom comes from, yeah. from God. Freedom comes from God. So does it not exist without God? But uh, when you say it comes from God, what do you mean? In the sense in that, way? like, uh, our choosing of the good is a participation in it's like it's an ability that is part of who God is I would guess I don't know that for sure that's just kind of like what what my intuition says actually I don't know that God chooses right I don't know that he has to deliberate he doesn't do that is there there's a difference though between deliberating and choosing right what does he have to choose well I so I'm going to relate it back. I think choosing to love is uh, would be what God would choose to do. Like, God cannot or, help but choose the good. Right? There's no other choice. But he does choose it, I, I get in a certain sense, right? Okay. So, you could, for instance, you could say that Christ chose to suffer on the cross for us. Okay, sure. All right. So, uh, I was going to say that I think freedom derives from our nature and is uh, a product of the reason, well, the intellect and the will. Um, so it goes back to knowing what is good and then actively choosing what is good, both of those. So I, I think it's, uh, I think it stems directly from human nature as given by God and can be distorted through, through certain actions, through addictions, through sin. So then if freedom comes from God how did did Christ bring freedom or did God in the Old Testament give freedom or did it exist before the Old Testament how did all that work well if we're going with my opinion that it derives from human nature then it would have been right from the beginning with Adam and Eve they had the freedom to choose God or not to right. eat the apple or not and it was the abuse of their freedom that led to the fall. Okay, so then after sin, do they still have the same freedom? Well, Again, this is where I would say it was impaired. And uh, that's, yeah. but I wouldn't say it was completely snuffed out. Because we can still say um, that there was good in the world and that like, people were able to choose the good. It wasn't completely wiped out by original sin. But it was wounded was impaired yeah there are two the two main consequences of the fall that come to mind are the or the consequences of original sin are uh, the weakening of the will and the darkening of the intellect and I think definitely the weakening of the will is related to a lack of freedom um, but not necessarily a complete lack of freedom Okay, so here's the thing. If Adam and Eve retained their freedom after the fall, 
why do they need Christ? Well, as I said, I would have thought I, I've been saying that they were wounded after the fall; that their freedom was wounded. But by somebody the fall that's itself. wounded could still make it to where they're supposed to go. It's just going to take them longer, right? Not necessarily. They might. The wound might be fatal. Okay. That would be equivalent to. But would we say that they like that after the fall they would be spiritually dead? Like, isn't that God said that they would die if they ate the apple from the tree? And also. Christ's action on the cross wasn't just to restore us back to the uh, same level as Adam and Eve. Oh, happy fault that won for us so great a redeemer. We were raised above Adam and Eve, raised above even the angels, uh, which before before the fall, the order of creation you know, had God and then the angels and then man and then the rest of creation. And now with Christ's action, we are raised above even the angels and are made close to God. So, uh, so I mean, that's, that's also part of Christ's action. But coming back to freedom, too, if we were, if Adam and Eve and their descendants uh, were completely deprived of freedom, I mean, how would they ever choose to accept Christ's gift? Because there's that action, too. You can choose to accept or deny grace. It's not forced upon us. We could talk about grace some other time, but uh, we might make the argument that the prevenient grace necessary to accept Christ's offer of salvation is, in fact, forced upon you. The one grace that is. Hmm. Um, I believe Catholic theology would say that your freedom was completely destroyed. That is your ability to choose the good. Because the thing is, if you cannot attain God, if you cannot attain God, then the good that leads us to God is not something that's going to be attractive. That's restored by Christ. It's restored by God by grace before Christ. Yeah. Right? Given to people individual circumstance by grace. And now by sacramental grace, right? Extraordinary grace before and sacramental grace now. Aren't we saying that that grace is restoring our freedom? That grace is restoring our freedom, yes. But not uh, the sacramental grace, but the... Uh, prevening grace. Prevening grace would be re- a restoration of our freedom. Yes. At least in part. Yes. At least the freedom to choose for the ultimate good, mm-hmm. right? And then all kinds of mess comes in the process, right? Um, the thing is, freedom... I mean, we've gotten way too philosophical about this. <laughs> but uh, Surprise. Yeah. The thing is, freedom... There's these... The popular notion is that freedom eliminates all of our obstacles. The religious notion is that freedom opens up a possibility that didn't exist before. And the possibility is to choose the good. If you're not free, you can't choose the good. If you're not free, you can't choose the good. Um, There are a number of quotations. I'll start with kind of the Old Testament. Um, In Exodus... Uh, the people are in bondage. Uh, they're there. The Pharaoh is, is, you know, a terrible taskmaster. Master, and God shows up, talks to Moses in this burning bush, and he says the following: I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
And then he goes on, he says, When you've brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. The thing is, anything that has to do with slavery, anytime we see anything that has to do with slavery or sin or an impairment of freedom in the scriptures, there's always a second command of God. Not just that I'm liberating you from slavery, but I'm bringing you to something else. Right, so the entire story of the Exodus is freedom from slavery, promised land, and then trying to get to the thing that we're, we want to attain, the promised land. In order to get to the promised land, what do we have to have? We have to have sacraments. We have to have uh, the law. Right, sacraments are present kind of in this kind of veiled way, uh, manna, in a hidden way. Man, well, and the parting of the Red Sea, being the Red sea baptism, baptism, right, all that kind of stuff. Right, so the sacraments are there. The law is there through the actual giving of the law. And then eventually the people make it to the promised land. The book of Joshua is written in the same style as the book of Revelation. It's this apocalyptic thing about the end of time. And that's kind of the entire story of the Torah, right? To be brought out of slavery to something else. Not to be brought out of slavery, to be left in a world of infinite possibilities (laughs) that you could choose anything that you want. It's actually absurd, right? When we think... I am going to have freedom from being influenced or being forced to do other things, to be forced to do things by other people. But it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, the, there's no way you can be liberated from all forces that are determining your actions, right? Nature, al- nature alone, right? You're not going to liberate yourself from gravity. Gravity is going to determine a lot of your actions. The simple fact is, barring some outside equipment, influence, technological advance, genetic advance, whatever it is that we do, you can't fly. Period. Right? Your Gravity does not allow that, mm-hmm. and you don't have feathers, or whatever it is that birds have that allow them to, to fly. Hollow bones, etc. Whatever. You can't do it. Right? So, there, there are always going to be influences on us that narrow our range of possibilities. That's not what freedom is. And also, I would say just having choices isn't a good unto itself. I mean, I could have 20,000 bad choices, and that's not going to do me any good. Uh, it's, all that matters is the, one, is the one choice that is the greatest good. That's why I asked that question at the beginning. Do you even have to have, like, two or three choice, two or three things to choose between in order to exercise your freedom? You both said no, right? You can just have one thing, and you can choose... To, to give your heart to it, or you can choose not to, right? That's mm-hmm. still just that one choice. Like, that's the essence of freedom. But freedom, the freedom that's granted to us as the, the sons of God, mm-hmm. right? Freedom has been granted to us as sons of God. That freedom that's given to us mm-hmm. is a freedom that allows us to choose God when that freedom didn't exist before. We could recognize good things in the world. We could recognize good things in the world. But until we have that ability to choose God, which is something that God gives us, we cannot produce by ourselves. Until we have that ability to choose God, we cannot order our life towards the supreme good. And therefore acknowledge all the goods in the world for what they really are. And from another aspect, um, if you just value having the choices, then the natural conclusion to that is to not choose anything because any choice is going to eliminate for instance if i could choose pepperoni cheese or hawaiian pizza 
choosing any one of those eliminates the other two. And if you're valuing just having the choices, then you would just not choose anything ever. And it's uh, I, it's back to the Netflix dilemma. You can't choose what you want to watch because you have too many choices. And picking one means you don't get to watch the thousands of others. Well, the other thing, too, is like choices themselves are this kind of paradox, right? People love the idea of choice. I can choose between, in your example, like pepperoni, cheese, or Hawaiian pizza. But you know what you can't choose? You can't choose to eat all three of them. Um, not unless they're itty-bitty little things, because nature prohibits you from doing it. Your stomach only mm-hmm. has so much space. Right? So that's the thing. We have these limitations. We have these limitations that exist in our freedom. They're limitations that we find in nature. And they're limitations that we ignore at our peril. Right? How are you going to feel if you eat three large, medium, even small pizzas? We'll say three small pizzas that are cheese, pepperoni, and Hawaiian. How are you going to feel? Bloated. Yeah. You probably, it's possible you wouldn't even be able to do it. I mean, that is that is enough food where you might not literally have the stomach space. You know, we, mm-hmm. we'd be like a scene out of seven. Um, <laughs> That's messed up. Yeah. That is messed up. <laughs> Uh, but that's the thing. Like we have this idea that multiple and and varied choices is is what we need in order to be happy. But it's not really that way. What we need is the good choice, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking- if the good choice is available to us, it doesn't matter how many bad choices are also available. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking in. Uh- in Galatians, St. Paul says uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And uh, it's interesting if you were to like replace the word with something else. So, like, it is for blank that Christ has set us free. You could say, like, it is for unlimited choices to do whatever we want that Christ has set us free. Or, like, it is for the ability to, like, choose... Uh, choose him and be with him and like be totally fulfilled that Christ has set us free. The last part of that quote that you just said is stand fast therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So the thing is like prior to Christ you're a slave. What does that mean? It's a well, I mean, just from a conversion uh, viewpoint, before you're converted to Christ, um, you're a slave to sin. Um, I can, I mean, anybody, any one of us can speak to it from our own personal experience of uh, having times in our lives where we were away from the love of Christ. And um, just, it's ultimately unfulfilling because the, you uh, you feel like you have to make these uh, these choices, you feel like you are expected to do these things, or you feel like you can't choose otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one one good example would be well, is back to addiction again. Um, as a person who it's a it's a very similar uh, thing. You can be addicted to sin, you just like you can be addicted to heroin. Was TJ's example, um, and it uh, it does impair your freedom. It does impair you to the point of becoming a slave. Or at least realizing the slavery. But I don't know, like, I, mean, I don't think Christ is talking about addictions. Right? He says, uh, what you, you referenced, that slaves to sin. That's John eight thirty one. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin, everyone who commits a sin 
is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Mm -hmm. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So by virtue of original sin, we all just start off slaves. So that's when I say, like when I say freedom is destroyed, I'm not saying your freedom to recognize that a puppy is better than a pit viper to cuddle with. <laughs> right? Like I'm not saying that freedom mm -hmm. is impaired. But your ultimate freedom, that is to choose God above all things. That that's gone. That's gone in original sin. Mm -hmm. And it's given back to us through the grace of Jesus Christ in a kind of veiled way in the Old Testament and explicitly in the New Testament. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're, we're already kind of getting long, but I think the important thing to take away from this podcast is that if we're going to correctly understand freedom, it doesn't have to do with the absence of restraints. It's the ability to choose the good thing. So there are lots and lots of people out there that have little or no restraints on them who are not free at all. Because just because I can decide what I'm going to do when I wake up this morning, I can decide where I'm going to go eat, I can decide how I'm going to decorate my house, I can decide all these kind of things. There's also a lot of things that I might be ignoring. Right? If I'm not ordering my life according to virtue, and if I'm not seeking God, it, you can call it all kinds of things, but it's not freedom. It's not freedom. All right, well, thank you for uh, listening, and uh, this is the Hell of a Catholic podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, issues, whatever, uh, email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Uh, thank you very much, and God bless. Thank you.